If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke. We'll be in chapter 2, verses 1 to 20. It is found on page 909. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 20. And in reverence of Holy Scripture, if you're able to, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Luke chapter 2, 1 to 20. If you're there, say, I'm there. If you still turn there, say, hold on. All right. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and family line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch At night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the angel of the Lord shone around, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you, who is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly hosts with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth to people he favors. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened which the Lord has made known to us. They hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph. And the baby was lying in the manger. After seeing them, they reported the message. They were told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. When Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had seen and heard. Which were just as they had been told. This is the word of God. Praise be to God. You may be seated. Everyone loves to hear good news. Am I right? Everyone loves to hear good news. The happening of an event, especially with favorable results, and it favors you the natural and right response is to be glad, to have joy. And no doubt, news and good news, they vary in degree, and it's particularly dependent upon the type of impact that it would have on the recipients of the good news. Like, think about it. Like, man, if we... If I got news that my MLGW bill was a little bit cheaper than what I budgeted for, 
I would be pretty glad. If we heard news that a family member's child has been born, we're going to be extremely glad. Why? Because the news of the birth of a baby is much weightier than the news of saving a few bucks on a monthly bill. You see, news have the ability to be life-altering, and especially good news as it depends on how weighty the matter is. It's true for a nation. It's true for a people. It's true for an individual. Think about the news that the Americans won the American Revolution, that they have become their own nation now, an independent nation. That's really good news for the citizens of America. Think about the news that race-based chattel slavery has come to an end through the Emancipation Proclamation. That is really good news for a particular people, black people in the South. Think about the news that a child has been adopted into a family that's been fostering them, a family that this child loves and wants to be a part of. That is really good news for that child and good news for that family. Now, as good as this news is, and it is very good, the reality is it also has limited benefit as it pertains to the scope of who it benefits. Think about it. The three examples I gave, the American Revolution, it only benefits the citizens of America. The Emancipation Proclamation, it benefits the people of color in the South. This child being adopted, it benefits this one child and this family. And so the scope of the benefit is limited, and this news, as good as it is, and it's really good, the benefits are only bound towards this life. You know, when we breathe our last... It does not matter who our, who our biological parents were. It doesn't matter what was the color of our ethnicity. It doesn't matter what nation we came from as much. Like this, this is good news, this is real news, but the reality is these things doesn't matter as much when we breathe our last. As good as the news is, and as much as we celebrate it, it's limited in scope, and it's only limited in how long we can truly rejoice in it. But beloved, the news that we've read of in our sermon text, the news that we have sung about in our songs, the news of Jesus' coming, it is good news of great joy, and it's in a category of its own. It is on a much higher plane and higher scale of how good of news that it is. You think about the benefits. It don't only benefit a child or an ethnic people or people of a nation. It benefits anyone and everyone, people of all nations, who receive this news with joy and believe. Not only that, but the duration of the benefits is in this life and in the life to come. For those who have trusted in Jesus Christ, 
the news of his coming, the fact that we benefited from it, it has present implications and ramifications, and it also has eternal implications and ramifications. Think about it. For us who trusted in Jesus, our sins are forgiven now. We don't have to fear the judgment to come. We've been justified by faith on that day, and we are justified now by faith. We have been adopted into the family of God now. We have eternal life now. We have a living hope. We have the certainty that our experiences, the sweet ones will only be sweeter on that day. And the difficult ones will one day be no more. This is very good news that is ours by faith because of Christ's coming. That news produces really, really, really great joy, and it's really, really, really good news. And so our big idea for this passage is this. Rejoice that Christ the Lord was born for our salvation. Rejoice that Christ the Lord was born for our salvation. We have three points from this text, exhortations, takeaways for us. The first one is prepare him room. Second, praise his name. And third, proclaim his name. Three Ps, prepare him room, praise his name, and proclaim his name. So for a little bit of context, the author of the Gospel of Luke is Luke. He's a Gentile, and he has narrated an orderly account of the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. He begins his Gospel with the angel Gabriel appearing to Zechariah make an announcement that he and his wife Elizabeth will have a son in their old age, and this son will be the prophet of the Lord who will make way and prepare the way for the coming Messiah. Not only did this angel appear to Zechariah, this angel then went on to appear to Mary, who was engaged to Joseph, making known to her, that she will get pregnant by the Holy Spirit and that the child in the womb who she would birth is the Son of God. That as a virgin, she would bear the Son of fulfillment of a prophecy that God has spoken. That he would be the Son of God, that he will be the promised Son of David who will reign eternally as King. The end of Chapter 1, John the Baptist was born. It brings us to our first point, prepare him room. Look at the first three verses. It says, in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. This first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. So the emperor during this time is Octavian. He is the great nephew of the Roman emperor, Julius Caesar. He was granted the title, Caesar, he was granted the title Augustus, which gets at majestic and holy. 
before many. He, in fact, he was exalted in such a way that he was viewed as a type of a son of God. People, brought, people assumed and believed, and he himself also believed, that he was proclaiming peace. This Roman emperor called for a census of counting the citizens for tax purposes. And so you have a, an emperor who believes himself to be the son of God, who thinks that he is bringing peace, now behold the irony, beloved, that during this time, under the rule of this person, who has exalted himself to be the Son of God and believes that he is bringing peace, that God in his providence would actually send the true Son of God, the King of kings, the Prince of Peace. Unbeknown to Caesar Augustus, God would use this census to fulfill his purpose. The very prophecy that he has made known in Micah chapter 5, that the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. God, who planned our redemption before time, who promised our salvation and made promises through the prophets, will fulfill his promises as we see was about to take place. He is working out his purposes in real time, and he is using whomever to accomplish his purposes because God is faithful. He will not forget a single promise that he has made, and he will not drop the ball. Look at verses 4 and 5. It says, Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. And so it was Jewish custom for the Jews to travel to the hometown of their ancestors, and seeing that Joseph was a descendant of King David, Joseph traveled 70 miles from his own hometown of Nazareth to David's hometown, Bethlehem. Bethlehem. And Joseph was accompanied by his fiancée, the very Mary, whom the angel of the Lord appeared to, making known that she will give birth to the Son of God. Though she was a virgin, fulfilling Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. See, the virgin will conceive. Have a son and name him Emmanuel, and the name Emmanuel means God is with us. The very one, this Mary who was pregnant, this baby is the son of God. He is without earthly father, but he does have a father. It is the heavenly father. He gets his divine nature from God as he is eternally generated from the father. The one who has no beginning as he has always existed with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit for all of eternity. The Son of God is becoming man and he got his humanity from his mother, Mary. One person with two natures, fully God and fully man, and he is the sinless Son of God who has come. What we have here is the creator 
coming so close to us. Entering the very world that he has created. Becoming man that in his love he may save man. Just as God promised. So in verses 6 and 7 says, while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Hours of pain and pushing was summarized in just simple language. And the location of the birth, it wasn't a hospital, beloved. It was a farmhouse. Jesus had a feeding trough for a bassinet. This is the king, the newborn king, the eternal king, and he has a very humbling beginning. It says that there was no guest room available for them. The homes were preoccupied. And so she had, he was born in a manger. He was born in a barn and laid in a manger. One of the most jarring statements is the very end of verse 7 where it says, because there was no guest room available for them. This is the author of life, the king of the universe, and yet there was no room available for them. The exalted one who has come lowly by becoming a man has become even lowly by being laid in a manger. Beloved, what they experienced with homes, Jesus would experience in the hearts of people in his earthly ministry. Think about it. He came, the Son of God, announcing that he is the Messiah, performing mighty acts that authenticated his message. And yet, during his earthly ministry, many hearts were preoccupied with religious tradition and self-righteousness, with greed and wealth, missing the fact that the Son of God who has came for them to save them is among them. Hearts were preoccupied. They did not prepare him room. And yet by the grace of God, that wasn't Jesus' only experience in his earthly ministry. By the grace of God, there were some who saw him, who heard, and by God's grace were granted the gift of faith and believed in him preparing room for him in their heart, embracing him by faith. Love, the reality is, it is only those who prepare him room in their hearts is he preparing them a room in heaven. It is only those who bow to his majesty with great joy and humility on this side of glory will they reign with him in the kingdom that is to come. 
He will raise them up and they will reign with him in glory. Beloved, we are to prepare him room. Christ is our Savior and Lord. We have confessed him. By God's grace, he indwells us now. And it's only those who are Christians that he dwells within. And at the same time, beloved, God, the Lord Jesus, doesn't just want to indwell us. He wants to fill us. He wants his lordship to pervade over our entire being. Ephesians chapter 3 Verse 16 and 17, Paul says, I pray that he may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Ephesians chapter 5 says, don't get drunk with wine, which is debauchery, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. The creator of Man's heart wants to fill man's heart and rule over man's heart. And the thing is, beloved, Jesus is Lord, and so he is not after any sort of negotiation. He's not asking for 50-50. He wants to rule as it is his right. Beloved, to prepare him room is to surrender more and more of one's heart and one's life and submit more and more with joy to his lordship because he is Lord. Prepare him room. Let me address the children in the room. You know, many of the kids, I know you guys are extremely excited because... Christmas is tomorrow. And it's likely you've been anticipating this probably all year, but especially all month. Some of you are probably anticipating so much that you've already begun to make room in your room and in your closet and in your bins for the things that you're about to receive. You've already made, you already evaluated and decided that if I have to throw away some things or get rid of some things, you've already predetermined what those things will be. Goodbye, Woody and Buzz. Hello, Spidey and his amazing friends. <laughs> and why? Because you find these things amazing. The gifts that you hope and plan to receive, you enjoy and you just see them as worth Whatever it is that you're about to give up. And children, one thing I want you to know is that Jesus loves you. And Jesus is the greatest gift that you could ever receive. Far greater than any toy or trinket. He is far, far greater. And what he wants is for you to love him in return. What he wants is for you to prepare for him just like you're preparing yourself to receive the gifts that you're hoping your parents will give you. Even more than that, he wants you to prepare room for him. Prepare him room. 
The reality is, beloved, we prepare room for the very things that we treasure. Just think about it. You bought a new TV or some new furniture, you're about to prepare room and move around any and everything in the living room that that thing may fit. You're about to buy some new clothes or some new shoes, you're going to prepare room in your closet for the things that you love. You have a newborn baby, rightfully so. You're going to prepare room for that child by getting the entire room ready. Beloved, how are you doing in preparing room in your heart for the return of Jesus Christ? For he is the glorious one. He is the treasure. Psalm chapter 73, verses 25 and 26. Who do I have in heaven but you, and I desire nothing on earth but you? God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Beloved, Jesus is the treasure, and we are to prepare him room. If I'm honest, you know, one of my fears is that instead of preparing him room, we're pushing him aside to where we've continuously closed our Bibles. We are consumed solely with the here and now. So as one theologian said, a lot of us have chosen heaven over hell, but few of us have chosen heaven over earth. Beloved, we are to prepare him room because the baby who was born in a manger is no longer in a stable. He is the king of the cosmos who has been enthroned at the right hand of the Father. He is the one who reigns on high, who is glorious and great, who will one day return, who by God's grace has made us his people. We are citizens of his kingdom. And as Paul said, we are to await his return. Beloved, prepare him room. The reality is the more we abide in him, the more we treasure him, the more we desire to be with him. And where that is true of us, we would be all the more joyfully, humbly, Willingly submitting and longing to be with him. Preparing him room, beloved. May we do so. May we not also prepare him room. May we also praise his name. Look at verse 8. It says, in the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Now, shepherding... It was a humble occupation. They were some of the most lowliest ones in society. They were downtrodden and despised. And yet, God in his love has chosen to reveal the news of Christ's birth to them. In verse 9 and 10, it says, The angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said, don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. 
Today in the city of David, a Savior was born for you who is the Messiah, the Lord. The radiant glory of God, the Shekinah glory surrounded these lowly and despised shepherds and then the angel comforted them. Comforted them with really good news. Proclaiming the birth and coming of the promised King and Savior. The long-awaited Messiah, Israel's king who they have been awaiting since God has promised one to come back in Genesis 3. The one that they have been anticipating has been born. And y'all, this is no ordinary baby. No other angels ain't coming and announcing the birth of any other child but this one. This is no ordinary baby. Did you see his personhood and his titles? It says that this one is the Lord. Getting at Yahweh, the covenant God of Israel. This one has become man. The very one who walked in the garden with Adam and Eve. The very one who dwelled with Israel through the tabernacle, the very one who dwelled with Israel through the temple, that one, that person has become a man and dwelt among God's people. He has taken on human flesh that he may save man. This one, he is the Christ. Getting at the title, the anointed one. He's David's greater son. He is the perfect and righteous and sinless king who is promised, who will reign eternally, and who brings about everlasting peace. The angel said that he is the Savior. He is the promised deliverer, the redeemer, the one who will bring redemption. The one who would defeat our spiritual enemies of Satan, sin, and death. And the way that he would do it is by hanging on a cross. Love it. The announcement of the birth of this child is the announcement that the promised salvation is coming. The announcement is hope. It's a hopeful announcement. It is really, really, really good news. And it's so good that the angels couldn't keep their station in heaven. That they had to come down and praise him. Verse 13 and 14, suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly hosts with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to people he favors. The very angelic beings who praise and magnify God in heaven suddenly came down and in unison, sounding greater than the pentatonics, began to praise God on earth. Extolling God for his sovereign work and plan of salvation for the chosen. Beloved, they say glory to God because it's his plan. It is his work, and he alone is worthy of all praise and all honor and all glory. Glory to God, but there's also something for us. Not glory, but peace. And peace on earth to people he favors. God gets the glory, and by the grace and love of God, man gets peace with God. Through the coming of this child, peace 
Y'all, this is astounding when you really think about And why is it astounding? Because man has rebelled against God. We have sinned against him. We are rebellious people. Before the coming and saving of Jesus Christ, the adjective to describe our relationship with God is not peace but enmity. And there's absolutely nothing in and of ourselves that we can do to fix it. We have ruined our relationship with God because of our sin. No money can buy it back. No philanthropist can work for it. No earthly politician can veto and lobby to where we have peace with God. And look what God has done in his love and grace. That through the sending of his son, through the work of Jesus Christ, it will result in peace. Peace between God and man for those whom he has favored. Why? Because the one who is humbly laid on a manger is the very one who will be humiliated and stripped of his clothing and he would hang on that old rugged cross, bearing the wrath of God for our sins and atoning for them through his death. To where For all who trust in Jesus, they are the ones whom God has favored, and the relationship between God and man is now marked by peace, harmony, unity. We are reconciled to God because the Prince of Peace has made peace. Romans chapter 5 verse 1 says, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Praise be to God. And so, friends, if you are here this morning and you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, look what God offers you through giving his son. He offers you peace, offers you life, offers you forgiveness. Regardless of what you have done in your background, The very reason that Christ came is to save sinners. Friends, I would implore you this very day to believe in Jesus Christ and receive the gift of eternal life that God offers through his son. We can talk more after service. Beloved, God has given us Jesus. The gift of Christmas is Christ himself. We are forgiven. We have life because of Jesus. Beloved, God's greatest gift is a person and it's his son. As Pastor Mark gave, the assurance apart from John chapter 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes will not perish but have eternal life. The proper response to the news of God giving his son is to praise his name. Praise his name, beloved. In chapter 1, that's what Mary did. 
after the news that she will have the birth, that she will give birth to the Savior. The end of chapter 1, the Magnificat, what she's doing, she's praising the name of God. The angels here in chapter 2, they are praising God for what he has done. In, chapter, in verse 20, the shepherds, what they do at the very end of our passage, they praise the name of God. We who have received Christ by faith, the proper response is to praise his name. Why? Because when God gave us his son, he gave us everything. And so we're by God's grace to have Jesus, to believe in him, is to have everything in Christ. Paul says in Ephesians 1, to the praise of his glorious grace. The proper response is to praise his name. God has made us to be a people who praise and give glory. It comes naturally for image bearers. Think about it. When we notice something that is amazing, that is adorable, that is glorious, our response is awe. Our response is wonder. Our response is praise. Think about it. When John Morant does an acrobatic move and hits the game winner, you are amazed and in awe, erupting with excitement. Think about it. When you go to a live orchestra and they perform Beethoven, Beethoven, how do you respond? You see it as breathtaking. So beautiful. Or when you read all the books in the Harry Potter series, and what do you do? You esteem J.K. Rawlings for her creativity in writing these books. Or when you go and watch Across the Spider-Verse, and then you come home and watch scene after scene, astounded, watching the breakdown. Well, that might just be me. But the response is just an amazement and wow and wonder. Love it, if these things wow us, then how much more the coming of Jesus Christ and his saving work? Think about it, if John Morant can hit the game winner and we erupt in praise, then how much more should we erupt in praise for the sending of the Son of God? Because we benefit absolutely nothing from that game-winning shot. But we have benefited everything by God's grace through the giving of his eternal son. Beloved, we should praise his name. This is really good news. And the news that the angels announced over 2,000 years ago, it is as good today, it is as good today as it once was back then. It produces as much joy now as it did back then. Why? Because we who trust in Jesus, we have salvation now. And we will experience it in full in the coming kingdom. Beloved, we who are saved by the grace of God, we just will not ever get over the coming and cross work of Jesus Christ. We will never get over it. 
in heaven, they continue to say, worthy is the Lamb. And they don't get bored. It's not old news for them. It's that amazing that we will ceaselessly praise the name of the risen Savior. Beloved, praise his name. He has redeemed us. We have peace now with God and forevermore in Christ Jesus. Praise his name. Our king is returning, and what are we to do until then? We prepare him room, we praise his name, and we also proclaim his name. Look at verse 15 and 16. It says, when the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known. Verse 16, they hurried off and found Mary, both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. You know, what the, angel, what the shepherds did right here, it's a, a picture of an essential mark of the Christian life. They heard the message, they believed the message, and they acted in faith. Think about it. They knew the source of the message. It wasn't the tabloids. It wasn't the Bethlehem Times. It wasn't CNN. It was the Lord himself. Look at verse 15, the very end. They said, which the Lord made known to us. Recognizing that God Almighty is the source of this message, that it came from him, and then they believed it. Notice that they didn't say, let's go see if these things has happened. Implying doubt and skepticism. No, they said, let's go see what has happened. They believed the message, and then they acted upon their belief to go see it. Y'all, this isn't my third point, but I got to make this point. Beloved, we will do well as Christians, as members at Midtown Baptist Church, to follow the example of the shepherds. We want to please the Lord with our lives. We want to grow in Christ. We want to be an encouragement to fellow church members here. Then be marked by the ongoing rhythm of hearing God's Word, believing it, and in faith motivated by love, acting upon it. Responding appropriately. Beloved, that's how we grow in Christ. Hear from God through his word, believe what he says, and obey it because we love Jesus. All right, now I'm going to get to my point. So they hurried off. They saw that it was true. Verse 17, after seeing them, they reported the message. They were told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God. So they go, they saw that it was true. And what they did next, they proclaimed it 
to everyone who was around them. Like mailmen, they delivered the message of the angels to all who were around him. They were heralding the good news of great joy. And get this, they weren't coerced. The angel didn't command them to say anything. They were compelled. Why? Because the news was too good to keep to themselves. They knew that everyone around them needed to hear this news. And beloved, as God's church, we have the responsibility from Christ. We have the privilege, we have the honor, we have the joy of proclaiming the news that Jesus Christ has come, that he is the Savior, and that he offers and gives life to all who would trust in him. The Bible says that we are God's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. What that means is God speaks his message to the world through the church. Beloved, we are God's megaphone, and we are to amplify the message of the gospel to the ends of the earth. Oh, beloved, proclaim his name. Y'all, this is the greatest news ever, that the Son of God has become man, that he came to redeem and save, that he forgives all who trust in him. Beloved, this is the most relevant message ever. As a message of the gospel, it addresses sin in all of its perilous effects. This message reconciles us to God. Think about all the effects of sin. You have alienation, division, suffering, death, evil, and the answer is Christ himself. As Christ has come and died, what did he do? He reconciled us to God. He reconciled us in him to one another. Because of his coming, we are assured that one day suffering will be no more. Because of his coming, we are assured that one day death will be no more. Because of his coming, we are assured that all the effects of sin will one day be completely done away with. That Christ himself is redeeming a people. And upon his return, he will redeem all creation. Oh, beloved, proclaim his name. And the reason we proclaim it is because the angel said in verse 10 that this is good news of great joy and this is for all the people. That it's for people of every tongue, tribe, nation, and language. All the people. And it's, when it's received by faith, it produces great joy. Oh, beloved, proclaim his name. And God in his love and grace, he has put the ball on the tee for us to proclaim his name in this season. It's Christmas season. 
We're going to gather with relatives and family members. Well, family is relatives. We're going to gather with family and friends and spend time with people, some of them who do not know Christ. The ball is on the tee for us to talk about Christ. For us to have spiritual conversations, for us to proclaim his name and pray that by God's grace, they will respond in the same way that Mary did. Treasuring the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That they can embrace it and believe and be saved by grace. Beloved, proclaim his name. This is the greatest news ever. It benefits all who receive now and throughout eternity. And our King has come, and He will return. And as we await, may we prepare Him room. May we praise His name, and may we proclaim His name. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, God, we do praise you for your grace. We marvel at your great love and the redemption that we have in your Son. That you have given us life as you have given us him. That by your grace we have received him and are adopted into your family. Father, we pray that we would be a people who with great joy proclaim the name of Christ. For this message is not just for us, it's also for them. Father, may we have people who ceaselessly praise your name for the gift of salvation. Lord, may you make it in our hearts to where the news of the gospel never becomes old news, but that it would always remain within our hearts good news, as good as it is. Father, we pray that your son will come soon. In Jesus' name, amen.